you probably know this, but the first person to know this God, the God of Israel, the God that we call Father, was Abraham. It wasn't uh, Adam. It was Abraham. And historically speaking, about uh, 1,800 years before Christ, this was the first time that this God reached out in Revelation and Abraham responded. And that's why always in the Bible we say, Abraham, our father in faith. He's our father in faith. Everything traces back to Abraham. So what's this, uh, Adam and Eve in these stories? The scripture scholars call them pre-creation stories or pre-Abraham stories because Abraham and the beginning Israelite community did what every group of people, every indigenous person has ever done. In, in anthropological and religious terms, they ask these questions. Why are we here? Why is there suffering and death? Why do people hurt one another? Why are some people born and they have less, don't have arms or something like that? Why? Why? So everyone tries to answer these questions. And they have multiple stories, fables, all kinds of things to do it. And quite frankly, I think the Israelite community was brilliant in their interpreting and trying to understand what they believe God wanted to show them in terms of who God is and who we are, especially in our relationship with God. So we start out with creation, two creation stories, in fact. And, and they tell of the goodness of God. And they even say, they even claim this, that we're made in God's image and likeness. That's pretty extraordinary to say. Not all the animals, but man and woman, made in God's image and likeness. The story continues. And, and then one of the most alarming things within the first three or four chapters, I think, Cain kills his brother Abel over jealousy, over a blessing. Fratricide, that's alarming. A brother kills a brother, and it's over jealousy. So God, hunting out um, Cain, uh, hunting out Abel, he says, Hey, Cain, where's your brother Abel? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Famous line. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, you are. You are here to take care of all your brothers and sisters. And that means all of us. That's who we are. We're children of God and everybody is our brother and sister, regardless of faith, whether they even believe in God. And if we don't get this, if we don't live this, we're doomed. We have such an inhuman act in Cain killing his brother. And this is why, at least in my estimation, in our theology, we say the cross saved us not from our sins, but from sin, the power of sin. Because we can be so inhuman and so uncaring for one another, even our blood relations, let alone people we don't even know. So we needed something and someone to come into our spirit and give us a way of seeing things that opened the door for us to be truly human again. And the scriptures today are playing with all of this. And fundamentally, all of the scriptures are talking about community and how we have to form community and help community to continue. So we have Ezekiel in the first reading. And um, God tells him this. I'm sending you, and I want you to know this. You are to go out to your brothers and tell them the wrong that they are doing and how they have to change their lives. And then God 
ups the ante on this. He says, if you don't tell them and they die, I'm holding you responsible for their death because you didn't even try. But if you try to get them to change their ways and they still die, you're not responsible. Wow, what a message. Can you imagine if we took that message, that prophetic word to heart, and said, I am responsible for, for all of you, and you're responsible for me. We have to care enough about one another to help each other to become better, to turn away from the things that, that are inhuman, that are not good. So then, Paul's letter to the Romans um, gives us the way. The way is love. Quite simple. Love one another. He says all the, all the commandments, all the law is, is wrapped up in that. If we love one another, the rest will take care of itself. Even St. Augustine said this, love and then do whatever you want. Because if you do whatever you want in love, truly in love, love for self and love for others, uh, things will be different. Now, I, I can only come to the conclusion, a lot of people don't love themselves very much because look at the way they treat others. And if we're basing the way we treat on others, others on the way that we love ourselves, hmm. I'm reading a book right now. Um, it's called, uh, the, I think it's called The, uh, the uh, Lincoln Conspiracy. And um, I had it on my shelf. I do this all the time. Someone gives it to me, and it's sitting there for a couple months. I keep seeing it over there. Hello. And then I uh, decide I've got to read this. So I'm, I'm in about the sixth chapter. And um, this is the premise of the book, that there was an attempt on Lincoln's life before he took office, after he was elected, and in that interim. And, um, and the Pinkerton Company, the, the original private eye, was the one who saved him, and it was a woman that protected him. She was the first woman private eye in our country. At any rate, in this story, and, and I, I, I believe it's all true, um, they were trying to kill him, and it was all over the issue of slavery. Now, it's funny, because over the last few weeks, and listening to Black Lives Matter and all of this, I, I keep asking myself, how can we still be dealing with this? How, how can we, uh, in 2020, be dealing with black and white? And, and it's, it's divided our country. It's ripped open all the sores, all the scabs. How is it possible? And I say... And I, I, I'm fascinated in, an, in a, not a, a beautiful way by all of this stuff of the Confederacy. I'm thinking, really? You're lost. You're lost. The Union won, so what is this? And I was wondering, where did all these statues come from and, and the names of, of Confederates for our, 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 our um, army bases? And what is it? What, why? Do, and then I found out, as I began to listen and read a little more, that it wasn't right after the Civil War. These came, you know, 50, 60 years later. A return to the Confederacy. A return to it. And based on this, that whites said, we're better than blacks. In fact, like in South Africa here too, that, that blacks are human, but they're only about two-thirds human. Whoa, we could say that? Amazing. So as I listened to all of this, I read a little further, and it said that at the height, at the height of um, um, you know, our division between North and South and with slavery and, and trying to eradicate slavery, one in every five 
persons who lived in the United States was a slave. I was astounded. But it made me recall, because, you know, we, we, we often point the finger, and, and sometimes in our own house uh, there can be deep prejudice, or in our church. So I'm in my first uh, parish as a pastor in South Central, Our, our, Mother, our Lady of Sorrows, and um, it was a black community, a Latino community. I think there were three whites in the community. I was one of the three. And um, I had read something or heard something, so I went up to this uh, older lady in the community, Dorothy, who was amazing, and, and I said, Dorothy, you grew up in Louisiana. Is it true what I just heard the other day? That in our Catholic church, uh, we did have blacks and whites worshiping at the same time, but... The blacks had to sit in the back of the church and the whites sat in front and the blacks could only go to communion after all the whites received communion. She said, yes, Father, that's true. That's what we did. In my church! I was in my church. That's how we acted. Where can we get that? And in this idea of white supremacy that still we are on top and they are on bottom, these scriptures don't say that. They challenge this at the deepest core. We must love one another as we love ourselves. Everybody. There's no exceptions. Color, race, religion, politics. It doesn't matter. And if we don't get this, we risk having communities that will not be healthy and thriving and living and growing. We risk isolation and division and separation, competition. So we come to this gospel, and Jesus pursues it further. And he's going after the idea of community, but problems within the community. When people begin to go awry, make a mess of things. So this is what he says. I'm going to pick on Bart, because it's just you're right here in front of me, okay? So there's Bart, and Bart's acting the fool. He is messing up. He's doing crazy things. Um, Carol, you know, is that right? You know, okay. And so I, this is what, what Jesus says I should do. He and I have had a, a difficulty because he's messing up. So I go to him and I say, Bart, you know, I, I, I say this out of love and out of concern, but what you're doing, you, you can't be doing. That's not right. And, and I'm just telling you, I, I, I want you and I to reconcile and fix this. We, we got to fix this. And he says, ah, get out of my face. So I go away and... I, I, uh, I go get sister, and uh, I go get Jesus, and I say, come with me. Um, you see what he's going on and, and our division here. We've got to fix this. Would you come and help me? So the three of us come. Bart, I, I brought witnesses here, here. Can, can you see that we, we've got some work to do here to reconcile and fix this? He says, get out of my sight. Get out of my sight. Okay, I've tried one-on-one -on -one out of respect for him, didn't involve anyone else. Then I went and got two to help me to see if he would listen to two others. And then I have to come back to the church. Now, the church isn't like the Roman Catholic Church. The church were these communities of faith like this. This is the church. And I come and say, church, you all see what's going on. I know you do. And we've got to fix this. Can you come with me? And we all address Mr. Bart and, and ask him to... Help us reconcile and fix this. And we go, he says, get out of my sight. Ah. And he says, now we treat him like a, a tax collector, a sinner. We say, okay, you come back when you're ready to reconcile and change. And that's, that's pretty strong language. 
but we cut you loose until you want to come back authentically and be a part of who we are and who we're trying to become. But then, and Jesus, Jesus is he, he's setting a high standard. It's keep going back, keep trying, reconcile. That's what you want to do. You want to reconcile and bring peace. Restore the unity, because something is bad when things become fractious and broken. We gotta, we gotta hold on to the unity. So then, Jesus says this. Let me tell you. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. I will work with you and in you and through you. Whatever you ask, it will be granted. Really? <clears throat> I asked in the introduction, you know, um, is this true in your life? Have you found that, that if you gather with someone in prayer, uh, that you can reconcile or help things to become better? Have you ever tried to solve a problem by praying with someone else? Now, I think as Catholics, we're not very good at this. Maybe the very younger generation. But, but uh, we were taught prayers, not how to pray. And it's different. To say prayers that somebody else has written, and they're, they're often passionate and beautiful and uh, very meaningful. We love them. They delight us. We, we, most all of us have a favorite prayer. But this is something that somebody else wrote. Can you imagine saying this to someone you fall in love with? You come up to them and you, and you want to let them know how much you love them. So you pull out a book that has love poetry. And you say, I want to tell you about how much love I have in my heart. Wait a minute, it's on page 23. My dearest love, I feel in my heart like the stars in the sky. And you're just thinking, oh my God, if you love me, just tell me. Don't read somebody else's words. That's what we do. We've got all these prayers that we say. They're not bad. I'm not knocking it. But the most important thing is that we learn to pray, that we talk out of our heart and experience, out of our pain, our woe, our grief, our struggles, our challenges, our hopes, our fears, that, that we give that to God and let God into that. But he says when two or three gather to do that, wow, what a difference. Now this is a community of faith, a community where something powerful and grace-filled can happen. I was in the priest senate, uh, priest council for many years, and, um, and I was president of it for, for two terms. And... Um, and when Carl Mahoney came back to Los Angeles as our archbishop, and um, <clears throat> I remember once we were having a very spirited conversation about something, and we were pretty much evenly divided. I only saw this once in my life as a priest. We were evenly divided, and, and it was a little heated, and people were beginning to say things that were more divisive. And finally, one of the old priests, it was striking. He raised his hand, I called him, and he said, you know, um, brothers, I'm wondering if we could pause for a moment and pray together. Before we go on finishing this conversation, could we just pray together about this issue and ask God to come into this? Some of them gave him looks like, are you nuts? We're all priests, but that, really. So we did. We started to pray, and people just opened up. God, this is an important issue for not just me, but for all of us and for all our community. We need your guidance. Send us your spirit. Lord, help us to listen to one another. So two or three or 22 or 23, whatever it was, we were opening to Christ right there, asking God to be a part of this little journey of ours. 
and giving us some light and understanding. And we resolved it. It wasn't magical, but it was spirit-filled. It was grace-filled. Because we dared to open the door to God and let God into our lives. What a difference. What a difference to be able to say, two or three of us, in the name of God, that's how we start every prayer, in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of God, in the name of the Holy Cross, Lord, come into this and guide me. Today, I would propose to you that, that this is not just some uh, sociological language about community. This is Jesus saying, this is the heart of it. The way we treat ourselves and one another is very important. And why not let it be grace-filled, spirit-filled, and let God be right at the center of it all?